Well, good morning, ladies. Um, I just want to start by saying I am really excited. I'm really excited to, I just have to get myself situated. I'm going to be a hot mess if I don't, so give me just one second to pull myself together. Okay. I, I'm excited to be here with you this morning, and I'm excited for a number of reasons. And the first is, I am a mom of three elementary school-aged boys, and I'm excited this morning to be out of my house. I, I'm really excited about that. Um, this is the first full week that my kids were out of school and home with me. And I don't know about you ladies, but I am a woman who loves routine, and I love order. And so I always have this love, kind of hate relationship with summer, because summer um, is all about playing. And I, and I love summer, but it just kind of clashes against my routine and order that I love. And so every year I try really hard before my kids get out of school to start setting up some kind of routine and order for our days. And so I've got this great, shiny chore chart hanging on my fridge. And my goal is that every morning we're going to get up with happy hearts. And we're going to start the day whistling while we work and, and get my house in order. And I love summer because my kids do most of the chores in my house. I mean, I'm down to just folding laundry. It's awesome. Um, so we've signed up for the summer reading program at the library. We paid all of our fines, and I just keep thinking, we're going to go to the library every week, and we're going to check out books, and, and my children are just going to spend these wonderful moments quietly reading around the house. You know, lost in a good book, and maybe I'll get to just be lost in a good book. And, you know, we've registered for sports programs and those sports camps, and We've got a swim day lined up with friends that we're going to do every Thursday. And I, I keep thinking that's going to be a great time of just the moms laying in the sun and fellowshipping and encouraging each other while our kids get along and play and swim. And, you know, they're at the age we don't really have to watch them so much to make sure they don't drown because they can all swim. And so I'm, I'm ready. We are, we are ready to play. And, but we're going to do it in a structured way. And, you know, God is a funny God. I think, um, what's that old saying, the best laid plans of mice and men? This first week home was also VBS at our church. And my church does a nighttime VBS. And um, so I'm going to be honest, I'm a hot mess this, this week. I have been a mess. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And my kids are a hot mess. So I feel really happy to be here and not home because I left that hot mess home with my husband this morning. So, and I'm out of town. I'm out of town. They can't reach me. They can't call me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here. So I look around and some of you kind of have that same look about you this morning. We are out of our houses. We've got our lipstick on and our hair curled and, and we're here doing this breakfast with fellowship and um, it's, just, it's really fun. But I'm also excited to be with you this morning, um, specifically here at this church, to um, meet you all and just see just a glimpse of the ministry and the work that God is doing in the life of my friends, the Coers. Because we have loved Derek and Jody for a long time, and we were sad that they uh, left Evansville. 
So this morning, I'm excited to be with you because we share a mutual love of your pastor and his family. And so our hearts are already united that way. And I'm excited because um, when I was asked to speak um, on 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is a book of the Bible and a chapter of the Bible that for the last year and a half, I would say that God has been really working in my life and in my heart in this text. And I just think if you want to know what it really means to live the Christian life, to walk with God, there are so many things in 2 Corinthians 5. I feel like Paul just gives us the secret right there. And this morning specifically, we're going to be looking at one key verse, that verse 17. But in order to do that, we're going to... I'm going to kind of go through a couple of other texts. Um, and so the text that we have this morning is, it's on um, that little bookmark that's on your table, but it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And um, this verse starts off with the gospel. And that's what Paul is talking about when he mentions being in Christ. And so before we can really move forward and unpack all of the truth and all of the promises that are in this verse, I feel like it's really important if we just take a minute and just look at that phrase, in Christ. Because right before that, there, there is the word if. And that's a tiny little word but the word if introduces to us a condition. It is not a guarantee that we are in Christ. And so what he's saying is that this promise and this hope of verse 17 is not a guarantee for everyone. That conditional word means if means that it is possible to be out of Christ. There's great hope in verse 17, and I want to unpack that hope this morning. But if you're here, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then this promise, and everything that we talk about this morning, it's not a guarantee for you. But the great news is that it can be. Um, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And sin is anything that we do that does not please God or meet his standard. Our sin, it separates us from God. And Romans 6.23 says that sin earns us death and eternal separation from God. But the great hope is that God made a way. But God, in a great act of love, God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to live a life of obedience in our place. And Jesus died to pay the penalty of sin God's justice demanded. And so in that moment on the cross, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. And when we come to God by faith, acknowledging our sin and our need for a Savior, there is a wonderful exchange that takes place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it. It says... For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin, who knew 
battle with sin. So that in him, and there's that phrase, in Christ again, we might become the righteousness of God. And that's really what it means to be in Christ. Coming to God, exchanging our sin for Christ's righteousness because we cannot earn God's favor on our own. We need a Savior. And when we acknowledge that before God, our position, it completely changes. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Thank you. Um, we go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. And if this is something new to you or something you have never done, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, and I'm sure any of the ladies here that have organized this event would love to do that too. Because this is one of the most important things that you can settle in your life. So I would encourage you, don't leave here today if this is unsettled. So with that in mind, I want us to really look again at verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I just turned 40 in March. And I will tell you what. When that happens, I am beginning to feel just a little bit older. I mean, I'm starting to feel old. I know that's not old, but I mean, it's kind of a transition time in your life. I have noticed some gray that's starting to highlight my hair. And I've had uh, a lot of trouble with my eyes this year. Um, so much so that I can't wear contacts anymore. I need, I need to pull this. Okay. That be. I talk with my hands, so I'm going to try to keep that under control because you just never know. But, um, but anyway, I, I'm not even able to wear contacts anymore because my eyes are so janky. And um, my doctor even told me that in the next year or so, I'm probably going to have to move to a bifocal lens, which is not encouraging. And I struggled, you know, as I struggled over the last couple years to lose the weight that I gained with my third baby. And I'm convinced it's got to be because my metabolism isn't what it used to be. It, not that I'm eating too much, but just my metabolism. Um, and so, really, I just kind of feel like I'm at this place where everything about my body seems to be on a decline, except spiritually, God's Word tells me the reality is God is continually making me new. Ephesians 2.5 tells us that before we were in Christ, we were dead in our sin, but then Christ made us alive. He took what was dead and he made it alive. And so even though outwardly we might be wearing away, inwardly God is doing this work inside us. It's kind of the opposite of what you would think. We were old and dead and now because we, were, we are in Christ, we are alive and he's making us new. And this morning, I want to talk through a couple of ways that God has made us and is making us a new creation in Christ. The first way is um, that God transforms our thinking. 1 
Corinthians 2.16 tells us, we have the mind of Christ. We are given a new mind. The Bible tells us that when we are in Christ, our whole way of thinking is potentially changed. In obedience to God, our thought life can be transformed. And God gives us the tools we need to be able to do this. He has given us his word, the Bible, and it is the tool that we need to know how to think. Because as we read God's word, God's word renews our minds and changes our thinking. In my own life, this is one of the first ways that I really began to see God's transforming work to make me a new creation. For most of my life, I have been a warrior. And I would have said, it's just my nature. It's just who I am. I've always been that way, as long as I can remember. And I have worried about everything. About everything. Sometimes I even worry that I'm worrying. Um, worry consumes a lot of my thoughts. Um, and it would consume my thoughts both when I was awake and especially when I lay down to sleep. Sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night worrying. And um, I, feared, I feared the future. What might happen? What might be taken from me? Um, I feared a lot of what people thought of me. I worried about that a lot. And um, the more I began to understand God and his character, the more I saw my thinking start to change. As I studied God's word, God just did this work in my heart and in my life. I really marinated in Ephesians 1. And Ephesians 1 talks about the love of God, what God says about me. And as I studied through that, I began to see, as I, as I began to see God's love, I realized it didn't matter so much what people thought of me. I began to see that that, that pattern start to slip away. Um, it still makes me want to throw up to be standing in front of you this morning. But um, I know that I'm loved and accepted by God. And that began to change my thinking. As I began to understand God's character, that God is a God who is purposeful. God, God doesn't do things haphazardly, but God is a purposeful God. And he is purposeful to use all things in my life, both good things and bad things, to make me more like Jesus. That's what his word tells me. And so when hard things happened, I learned to look at them through the lens of Romans 8, 28, and 29. How might God use this for good? How might God be using these specific circumstances to make me more like Jesus? As I began to understand God's sovereignty, I began to see that he is a God who is in control of everything. And I could trust him to meet my needs and care about what concerned me. See, God's word was the only resource that I needed to learn how to change my thinking. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 teaches that for those who are in Christ, 
We need to seek or intentionally think about things that are above. Not earthly, temporary things that can distract us and demand our attention. And they do demand our attention. Earthly things often demand our attention. But instead, we need to intentionally think about what is eternal. We need to take our thoughts captive and teach them to obey Christ. And this is something that our minds are not going to naturally do on their own. But remember, God has given us the mind of Christ. At the moment of salvation, he gives us a new mind. And so we can learn to change how we think. We are to be intentional to think about things that are true and honorable, just and pure, things that are lovely and commendable, that which is excellent and worthy of praise. And this is so important. This is so important because our thoughts are the train engine that drive our lives. Before we ever do anything or feel anything, we have first thought something. We've thought about what is best for us. We've evaluated our circumstances in some way. And as our thoughts go, so goes the direction of our lives. So it is important that we study God's Word. The second way that I see that God um, is working to make us a, a new creation is God changes our desires or our emotions. Our value system, our whole entire value system can be changed because we are in Christ. Our priorities can change. And I want to ask you this morning, what is your goal in life? What is your goal in life? If I were to ask you that and, and we were sitting having breakfast, how would you answer? Take a minute and just think about that. What is your goal in life? I'm working right now to complete a certification as a biblical counselor. And in that process, I, I meet with a lot of women in my church. And I meet with women who are hurting and women who are struggling, women who are angry and bitter. But I also meet with a lot of women who just find it hard, hard to walk with Jesus in this life. And this is the, one of the first questions that I always ask. What is your goal in life? What is your goal in life? And you know, there's a lot of different ways, lots of different ways to answer that question. Sometimes women have the goal of a happy marriage. It's not a bad goal. Sometimes they want their kids to be successful. Sometimes they want to feel loved in a friendship or other relationship. Sometimes they want to get out of debt. Sometimes they want to just stop yelling so much. Sometimes they want to feel better. Sometimes they just want good health. You know, for me, a goal that I struggle with a lot is I want things to be easy. I don't like hard. I don't like hard. And so I want the goal that life would just be easy and things would work out for me. I want the golden touch. I don't often have it. But the problem in our lives 
is, is sometimes it's not even the goal. Because sometimes we want good things. And sometimes we do have good goals. The problem comes when we want good things too much. And all of a sudden, these goals are what we live for. These goals are what we orient everything in our lives around. This is how we make our priorities and make decisions. And so if we want our kids to be successful, we're willing to sacrifice time and money and energy and other relationships sometimes to make sure that they are busy and active and happy and involved in everything they can be. We want to be loved so badly that when our marriage is not meeting our needs, we're willing to just walk away from it. And there are two verses here in our chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, that talk about the driving force and the motivation that we live for in this life, or the motivation we live by in this life. And the first one, if you have your Bibles, is in um, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. And it says, so whether we are at home or away, here's the goal, Paul says, we make it our aim to please God. Paul says, we should make it our goal to please Christ. This should be the focus and the motivation for all we do. We need to want to please God more than we want anything else life has to offer. Oftentimes, the world will tell us to follow our hearts or your feelings. Let your feelings be your guide. But the Bible tells us your heart will deceive you. Your heart will lie to you. And this is why thinking about the truth of God's word is so very, very important. Because thinking is the fuel that will drive our emotions. In the book Gospel Treason, um, the author Brad Bigney, he says that our emotions are our spiritual sense of smell. He says, how often have you said, do you smell that? Is something burning? I mean, that's something we say a lot. Our sense of smell sometimes alert us that there is a problem. And he says in the same way, our emotions alert us that there's a problem. A problem going on in our hearts. See, our feelings may lie to us and deceive us. They may tell us to pursue all sorts of other things as our goal, rather than having the goal of pleasing God. But in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all has died. The Bible teaches us right here that our feelings should not be what controls us, but rather as new creations. It should be the love of God that controls us. He goes on to say in verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. In verse 15, he's telling us that as an extension of this goal of pleasing God, 
the outflow would be that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus who died for us. See, when our emotions alert us that there's a problem, too often we go around trying to sniff it out. But we blame other people or we blame our circumstances. Instead of recognizing we are living for ourselves, for our wants and our desires. But verse 17 tells us, no, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. The old has gone. It is passed away. The new has come. You are a new creation. God is making you new. Well, God in his goodness gave me three sons. And I grew up with sisters, so this is a whole different world for me. And my boys are at the age, they're still trying to learn how to handle their emotions. I'm still learning how to handle my emotions. But my youngest cried so much at his preschool graduation, and I, I, I don't even know what he was crying about. But he cried so much that he threw up all over himself. And there was an announcement that came on in the auditorium asking me to come and get him. So he didn't even get to participate in his graduation. He had to leave. Um, and then, you know, that same child went to kindergarten this year. And he cried every day at school for the first three weeks. And when I say he cried every day at school for the first three weeks, I mean he cried all day long. Every single day. I mean, I was so thankful that that sweet little kindergarten teacher did not ask me to pull him out and homeschool him because I did not think he would ever get those emotions under control. And, and I get it. I get it. Sometimes it's hard to handle our emotions. And I, I'm a mom who cries. Um, if you, I'm the kind of friend that if you are hurting, if you're crying about something, I'm going to cry right along with you every single time. You can count on it. Without a doubt, I will cry right there with you. Um, and, but I was raised with a mom who had three daughters. Um, and, and girls are sometimes a little bit more emotional than boys. And my mom um, really helped me learn to balance some of those emotions. And so she would, she would let us have a good cry. You know, a boy broke your heart. She would let you cry. And, and then she would always say, okay, it's time to wash your face and let's figure out how to move forward. And I think now, as an adult looking back, I think she understood what God's Word teaches. Our feelings, no matter what the feelings are, our feelings cannot be queen. They cannot be queen. And our feelings want to be queen. They want to be the Lord of our lives. And they will be queen in our lives if we let them. And God has given us emotions. Emotions are not bad. It is one way that we are made in the image of God. Our ability to feel and express emotion is a reflection of being image bearers. So emotions are not bad. But God has given these emotions to us 
And I once read this analogy, and it has become part of the terminology in our home. And our emotions are like a horse. We all have emotions. Emotions are like a horse. And every horse needs a rider. The rider needs to learn how to control the horse. And so in the same way, we are the rider. And the emotions are the horse. Did I say that right? Um, but oftentimes what happens is the horse wants to control the rider. And that's what happens when we follow our feelings or live by our desires. Many times we let our horses go all over the place. We just, if we feel angry, we explode like crazy mamas, maybe. Um, and I say that to my kids all the time. Look at your horse. You're out of control. Your horse is out of control. You need to rein it in. Um, God in his word teaches us his value system. He teaches us how to love the things that he loves. He teaches us in his word how to live with the right goals. And so as new creations in Christ, living for ourselves can no longer be our goal, but rather living for God in a way that pleases him. And the third way that um, we're going to talk about that God has made us new creations and is continuing to make us into a new creation is God changes our actions, what we do. We are no longer enslaved to sin. The Bible tells us, no, we have been set free. We can now walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. God changes us from the inside. And God is the one. God is so committed to this work in our lives. He is committed to producing his fruits. So God takes our hearts and he produces um, love. Where there used to be anger and jealousy and strife. God develops peace where there used to be worry and fear. God puts patience in place of impatience. And God works to make us um, kind instead of selfish, good instead of evil, faithful rather than unreliable, gentle instead of harsh, and self-controlled rather than living by our feelings. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Ephesians 4. And I know you guys have just studied the book of Ephesians recently. But I feel like Ephesians 4 is a passage of the Bible that really, um, it just kind of, it's, it's a culmination of everything that we've talked about this morning. Um, and so I want to read just a couple of verses there um, in Ephesians 4. I'm going to start in verse 17. Um, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them 
due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. And then I love this. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says here, we are to be committed to putting off our old selves. Our old selves, they lived by our deceitful desires. He says we were once corrupt in our desires. We lived by our feelings. There was no way for us to want anything right or good, much less do anything right or good. But he says, that was your former life. The old has passed away. You are new. Instead, you have now been taught the truth by Jesus. So you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've been given the mind of Christ. And so before we can move forward and do what is right and pleasing to the Lord, before you can live as the new creation that God has called you to be, you need to recognize where you are still wearing the grave clothes of your former life. Where are you still living as your, though you were dead, forgetting that God has made you alive? And wherever it is, you need to speak the truth from God's word to yourself. And then he says, then go on. Put on those actions that reflect your new life in Christ. And this chapter in Ephesians goes on through the rest of the chapter, verse 32 through verse 32. It's great because Paul gives us lots and lots of examples. He says, the liar stops lying and starts telling the truth. The angry man begins to deal with conflict in a way that pleases God without destroying everyone in his path. The thief stops stealing from others and instead starts sharing, looking for ways to meet people's needs. The one who used their tongue to tear people down begins to use it to build people up and encourage them. See, as new creations, God equips us to put on his character and do the things that might not come naturally to us. And just like we get dressed each morning, taking off our pajamas and putting on clean clothes, so that's how we are to begin to think of our new lives in Christ. It is a continual process of taking off what is old and putting on something new in its place. 
And here, here's the beauty of all of this. As you work to do this, God, God is going to be working too. Back in 2 Corinthians 5, right after um, verse 17, the very next verse, verse 18, starts off, all this is from God. All this is from God. Our God is committed to helping you become the new creation he already says you are. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began the work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. And so this morning, I would encourage you to get practical. This has been a great morning. It's been great fellowship, great food, um, a great chapter from God's Word. But I would encourage you to leave here today with some kind of plan, a practical plan. Where would God want you to apply effort to really grow as the new creation he's made you to be. See, he already says you are a new creation. So where would he want you to apply effort? I would encourage you to think through a way that you can be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. And so maybe for some of you, it would start with your mind. Are you committed? Are you committed to spending time in God's word every single day? Our thinking is the fuel that drives the train of our lives. So if you see a lot of chaos and disorder in your life, I would encourage you, start looking at your thought life. That's an easy place to start. Start looking at your thought life. Are you taking your thoughts captive and teaching them to obey God's word? In the areas that you're struggling with, are you committed to memorizing verses for those areas? Do you look to God's word for answers when you're struggling? Is God's word the authority that you live by? And so maybe this morning, God would be honored if you would commit this summer to just spending time with him every day, reading your Bible and learning from his word. Maybe you would be honored if you would spend time praying and studying his character. Or maybe this morning for you, maybe it's not your thinking, maybe it's your emotions or your desires that still reflect old man ways instead of the new creation God has called you to be. What is the goal that you are living for? Maybe there are fires burning in your life and you have just forgotten to sniff around for where the smoke's coming from. Are you living for yourself? Is your horse out of control? Leading you to live by feelings and desires instead of be, being led by the truth of God's word? Where would God be honored if you reorient your priorities to obey him. 
controlled by his love instead of just what you want. And ladies, if you're unsure this morning, check your actions. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Where do you see patterns of sin in your life? A lot of times this is the place where we can begin to notice something's off. Something's wrong. Something needs to be corrected. Maybe you see habitual sin. So maybe that would be the place to start. What sin do you need to put off? And how do you need to change your thinking about that sin so that you can put on actions that reflect this new creation God has called you to be. And here is the exciting thing. Here's the exciting thing about all of it. This new creation, it's both a promise and it's also a command. But God says, this is true about you if you are in Christ. This is already true about you. You are a new creation. So even when you fail, even when you continue to sin, even if you live for yourself with the wrong goals, God has said, He has made you new. He is the one who is committed to His good work to make it a reality. He also says he will continue to make you new. He will continue to do it. He's going to keep growing you season by season and moment by moment, trial by trial, Bible study by Bible study, failures and successes. God is making you new. And wherever you are today, it is not the end of the road, and it is not the end of your story. Because he who began a good work in you, he is the one who's going to be faithful to complete it. So I would encourage you today, live as the new creation he's called you to be. Live as that new creation. And tomorrow, there will be new mercies and new opportunities for you to live for Him. And so I'm going to leave you with this this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that you are the with us God, that you are Emmanuel, that you did not leave us here on our own to figure this out, but God, you have given us your spirit and your power. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you that you have begun a good work in these women. Thank you for the work that you've begun in me. And I pray, Lord, I pray that we would live as you made us to live. I pray that we would remember that you have made us new, that we would be careful to put off the old self and to walk as new creations. God, give us 
the ability. Give us wisdom to know where we need to change and grow. Give us your help to apply the effort that we need. And God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his death, for his life, that he always obeyed you. Not only did he not sin, but he always chose to please you. And so, God, would you make that true of us? Would we live in such a way that you are honored with our lives? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.